welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Today's Bible reading is taken from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through to 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisar, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Thank you, Matt. Okay, just sort myself out here. So, it is really, really cool to be back in Melbourne. Um, it is, I think, by far our favourite city in the world. Yeah, we've been to a couple, um, and every time we come back, we really love being being around. I think, especially in summer, a real. Cr- uh, summary Christmas this is the first time for a long time. Um, a number of things have changed <laughs> since I left um, six years ago. It seems to be mostly things that have been built, um, especially an officer. Like this wasn't here two and a half years ago when I was last here. Um, and all these, yeah, all the way through officer, these houses, and then and even in Macca's, this new burger system. It's like, what's going on? I don't quite understand. We were really stressed out when we went there the other day. <laughs> it's like, what is this thing? Um, and you've got two new footy teams too. Where'd that come from? I, was, I really haven't been following anything. But anyway, we're really, we're so happy to be in follow this morning. Um, we've been following your progress from the other side of the world. 
uh, our home church here in Melbourne is, is Beaconsfield Baptist. And so watching our community give birth to uh, a missional community in a neighboring town, um, it's been so unbelievably satisfying to watch it from afar. Um, we've loved watching this all unfold. Uh, we've been praying for you uh, and enjoyed seeing updates um, as, as things have been growing. And it's, it's great to see this all together now. Um, a few months ago, I, left, I met up in Belgium with Sanjeev. Um, it was great to meet up with him um, and hear a bit of your heart already um, for being a church that's so connected with the local community. Um, I, re- I really love the spirit of this. This is, what some, this is something that we as OM uh, really dream about, um, the whole idea of engaging so directly with the community that you actually live amongst. Um, and it's, it's something we dream that the Belgian church would become really passionate about as well. Um, Femke came across this word while she was studying theology. Um, it's uh, communitas. Um, has anyone ever heard this before? Um, okay, cool. Well, it's the, the context that Femme heard it is, is that a community uh, exists to serve inwards uh, and the people who are already within the social structure, uh, while communitas uh, exists for the outside to welcome and draw people into. Um, and I love that this community... Communitas uh, has this concept so rooted, rooted so deeply uh, in its DNA. So you're inspiring people around the globe, as, as in us in Belgium. Seriously. Um, we bring greetings from the whole Owen Belgium team. Uh, this is an older picture of our group uh, on our annual team retreat. Uh, there's closer to 50 people now on the team. Uh, we're a very diverse bunch from all sorts of nationalities. Um, uh, we recently celebrated 50 years of ministry. Uh, in Belgium. Um, we began as the headquarters of OM in Europe. Uh, in the early days, uh, in, the, in the 60s, we began uh, as, a, as a, I guess, as a home base. We were sending t- thousands of ministry teams across Europe and into the USSR, into Eastern Europe, uh, the Middle East, even as far as Singapore. I, if, I don't know if you really grasp the concept of how big Europe is, and then the Middle East, and then Asia, and then Singapore. We were sending teams that by road from one place to the other. That is a really long way. Um, and since OM was decentralized in the 90s, um, our facilities have now been uh, repurposed into a conference center. Uh, serves as a training ground for the local church and also as our team office. Um, and we have a really, really cool legacy as OM, mobilizing people to take the gospel of Jesus Christ as far and deep into every nation as we possibly can. And we look, as we look to the future, we continue this legacy. We're excited to see how God uh, uses us to support the Belgian church as they search how they can share the gospel uh, in their country as effectively as possible. So, today I have the burden and the privilege of preaching for you. Normally I would preach in English and then Femke would translate into Dutch for me, giving me time to think through what I'm going to say next. Uh, but I don't get that kind of luxury uh, this time, so you might have to be patient. Um, d- does anyone actually understand Dutch here? Anyone? Mbetje? Yeah? Yeah, nice. Very good. Well, we can uh, have a crack at see what we can say. I need to practice. Um, so I want, I want to dig into one of the passages that that's been really foundational to me um, lately, and I think it gives us really profound insight into living as God's people in the midst of a dark, uh, perhaps even hostile world, depending on where we are. Um, 
how should we live as God's people in relation to the people around us? I think this is a really good question. What does, what does our interaction look like with our neighbors and our towns? Um, it's a big question that we've considered a lot as the OM team. There's so many things to consider that God calls us to in Scripture. And these are just a few. What does James mean when he says, for us to keep ourselves unstained from the world? Um, or when Paul calls us in Philippians to think on what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent, does that mean that we avoid everything that isn't? Um, do we follow this through by segregating ourselves wholly from the life of our neighborhood, only emerging to lob gospel bombs on the street corners and at front doors? Um, or, alternatively, do we, as Isaiah writes, to learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, and in our effort to live peaceably with all, all as Paul calls in Romans 12, we end up avoiding bringing the full message of the gospel, the magnitude of sin, and the sheer overflow of God's grace to the communities that we know in fear of offending or, dis, or distancing others. And these are two kind of extremes that we see quite commonly in the church. Um, and we've seen this in Belgium particularly. Um, and it's so easy to fall into these. Um, and so approaching Jeremiah, I, I, I kind of wonder perhaps chapter 29 offers a balanced approach how we live, how we look at our community and how we serve them. Um, a life that doesn't either sacrifice the pursuit of holiness or capitulate to the sinful whims of culture. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to set the background a little bit. This is uh, going back to the previous chapter um, a little bit. But Jeremiah, then living in Jerusalem, uh, was uh, with, the, with the, the remnant of Israel there, was writing to the exiled Israelites who've been in Babylon for quite some time. The broader theme of this part of Jeremiah's book is God's opposition to false belief um, and speaking through Jeremiah to, to reinforce this. So there's a whole chunk, all the uh, chapters preceding uh, are referring to this. Uh, prophets had been de- falsely declaring the end of bondage uh, to the nation of Babylon in chapter 28. Um, Hananiah uh, was one of these prophets who was doing this, whether driven by fear or a popularity contest, or maybe it's simply a, a misguided desire to encourage the exiled uh, Israelites. Hananiah had declared that within two years the nation would be liberated and there would be peace. And Jeremiah's response in, 20, in chapter 28, verses 6 to 9, I'm just going to loosely paraphrase, basically, Jeremiah says, I really wish that were true, but every single one of God's prophets has, has declared this to be a time of utter disaster. But if you're right, we will know that God has sent you when it all comes to pass. And within a few months, God actually kills Hananiah. He says it, I will remove you from the face of the earth. Um, no peace comes. In fact, God declares that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at the time now, has more power to enslave the, the Israelites than ever before. That's pretty rough. In Belgium... Segue into Belgium. Belgium has had a long and complicated history filled with wars and foreign occupation for centuries. Um, it's been the battlefield for both World War One and World War Two. Um, huge scores of, of of people were killed and cities were demolished. It's it's incredible the history. Um, it, um, Napoleon was defeated in Waterloo in Belgium. Um, it's it's just been this constant constant history of, of defeat after defeat and being conquered. The Belgian church is even more complicated. It's said that in Belgium during World War II, there were no more than 50 Christians in the entire country besides expats coming in for different wars and, and so on. 
And while God has multiplied his church exponentially since then, the number sits somewhere between, I believe, 0.38 and 1%. Um, that's, that's as far as we can get. It's, it's tiny. And to compound the problem, um, in 1997, there was a report released by the Belgian government that lists cults and sects that they deem potentially dangerous, included the Protestant church and even OM on the list alongside JWs and Mormons and, uh, and basically everyone else who was a minority. Um, so while the Belgian church's relationship with the rest of the country has never suffered deep persecution for their faith, the way Israel had under Babylon, they've never really enjoyed the same privileges that we could say that the Australian church has had for so long. Um, nominal Catholicism, once predominant, has now been significantly dislodged by a secular humanistic outlook uh, where all religions have some truth to them, but there probably isn't a God and really we should just try and be nice to one another. Um, so the Protestant church in Belgium really does sit on the fringes with no influence in culture whatsoever. Um, you, we could effectively call the Belgian church exiles of culture. In addition, there are scores of missionary pastors who enter the country under the assumption that transplanting their own church culture into Belgium is really what the country needs. So they import overblown megachurch experiences, their overly energetic leadership styles, and totally miss the opportunity to engage with a much more reserved and laid-back culture. Um, and we would likely say that the hearts of these pastors are good. They love Jesus and they're moved by the sheer uh, need for churches in the country. Um, However, their unwillingness to allow churches to be shaped by their culture often results in, in these church plants stagnating and then eventually closing. It's almost akin to uh, a pastor building an English-speaking, hymn-singing Anglican church in the heart of Telugu-speaking India. Um, are you really helping that culture make sense of the gospel when it's so weighed down by the traditions that only make sense in its, in its home culture? Are we prepared to love the people God has put us amongst to go through anything so that they see how good our God is? Are we prepared to loosen our cultural baggage, become just another voice in the crowd of worldviews, and humbly submit to, to learning our adapted culture, adopted culture, so that many might be saved? Do we even go so far as to let our liberation theology trump our suffering theology? Um, in other words, do we misunderstand God's freedom the same way Hananiah did and seek to avoid the blessing of trial? That's another thought. So anyway, that's, that's all a bit of backstory set up, for our, set up for our passage. Jeremiah responds to the flood of false prophecies of freedom by introducing who it was written to. It's interesting to note that while Jeremiah wrote this to the exiled Israelites, it also appears that it made it into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, um, via Elisa and Gemariah in verse 3. Well done, Luke, with pronouncing all these names. I didn't even practice this before I started this. Um, so, wait a second. This Nebuchadnezzar, he's the guy who's actually responsible for taking him captive. Why on earth would he receive this message too? I think there's a, I think there's a few fun factors here to consider. Um, when Jeremiah begins his letter in verse 4, introduces this as God's message and reminding them that he, God, was the one responsible for Israel's exile, not Babylon. I don't know exactly how King Nebi would have responded, whether laughing at the audacity of puny Israel or perplexed that their God was more in control of his, of his grand empire than he was. I think another factor is this. He's the ultimate authority figure in Babylon. 
He was receiving information communicated among the Israelites, his captives, that they were commanded by their God to work for Babylon's good. It's almost like God is saying to a heathen king, no less, here are my people. They're going to bless your, your people and work for your good. Does officer know you guys exist? <laughs> Do those in authority know this church longs to bless their neighborhood in ways that nobody else can? Uh, is your presence felt in this area because of your love to serve them? It's, this is a question that we, we love posing to churches in Belgium. Um, it's, taping, it, it's taken from a book called The Shaping of Things to Come by Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. Um, it's a very, very challenging book. If you've, if you've uh, had the chance to read it, it makes you think an awful lot. But there's this, this great question. If, if Pastor Luke were to announce after the service today that this was the last service ever, today was the last service, what would you think your town and neighborhood would miss once your church had disappeared? This is, this is a really good question to ponder, seriously. We've spent a lot of time talking with people. Um, in OM recently, we met with, a, with um, the pastor of a church. Uh, it's, a, it's a small, nameless community uh, in a town called Jean Bleu, if you want to pronounce it correctly in French. Um, it's in the French-speaking part of Belgium. They have no website, no, no permanent building, and no AV gear. Shock horror. Amazing. They meet in living rooms and pubs, depending on what's available that week. Amongst having remarkable connections with the town, the council, and even the local second-hand shop, the pastor told stories of how the local police, overwhelmed by cases in the community that required spiritual discernment, they would call him for help. Um, their reputation in their community is one for sh- sheer love for their neighbors and longing the best for them. And the people are genuinely turning to Christ uh, because of their ministry. It's absolutely incredible. What if God is giving you the opportunity to have that kind of reputation here in officer? So, this is, the, this is the exciting part. This is the part I really like. God is calling Israel to, I quote, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. They may, be, may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of your city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Firstly, God is basically saying to Israel, you are in this for the long haul. This is hard work. Consider this context. Uh, Babylon in this age was possibly the largest city of its time, around, around 200,000 people. It's hardly impressive by today's standards, but then that's pretty impressive. Uh, the Neo-Babylonian Empire uh, under Nebuchadnezzar had pretty much dominated every uh, nation in the region all the way across to the Persian Gulf to become one of the become the largest empire in the world at the time. It was huge. It covered, uh, what's this, modern-day Syria, Iraq, Iran, uh, and Saudi Arabia, uh, parts of Iran and Saudi Arabia, Arabia, um, and, of course, puny Israel. Um, Babylonian religion featured multiple gods uh, under under Marduk. I guess we could call him the boss god. Um, Remember Daniel the prophet, contemporary of Jeremiah, he lived around the same time. He and his friends um, placed demands on them to bow to these Babylonian gods. Um, so Babylonians are really aren't so nice about people rejecting their faith. So in the midst of this enormous city, a number of exiles lived. And rather than batten down the hatches and, and live in hiding, God calls his people. 
He says, live, eat, pray, start families, build houses, seek the best for your city. You are safe here. I really love this picture. It's, I love how God commands his people just to simply sit tight, get used to your host culture, and work for its good. Our home church for the last three years was a small evangelical church in a town called Tienan. Uh, Tienan is a city of about 32,000 people. Our church was about 30 people on a good day. It's tiny. Uh, every Sunday, we would, we would help singing in the worship in the service. We'd gather the youth for lunch afterwards, and we'd participate in weekly Bible studies. Um, and once every, every two months or so, I would, I would preach. Um, the church was actually a really challenging place to be because you come face to face with what some of the, uh, the hardest realities of Belgian life are. A comfortable Western culture who um, would worship the easy, pleasurable life really finds its darkest extremity in Tienan. The city has a reputation for those with massive drug and, and alcohol addictions. and has a large, It's a large mental hospital um, and cares for those whose minds and bodies have been deeply scarred. There's one man in particular that I think of. Um, he's, uh, he's in constant pain uh, because, of, uh, because of his history of drug abuse and recently announced his decision to be euthanized, um, which Belgium being one of the first countries to permit this. Uh, I don't know whether he's following through with this. He said he planned to do it in January, and I haven't seen him since. Um, I have immense respect for the people who planted this church uh, and persist in ongoing ministry here, intensely loving those who are on the fringes of society. We made the decision to leave Tienan because we saw our passions and skills benefiting other ministries, but we pray for these guys often because they really are a community living on the fringe of the fringe of culture. If you, if you could continue to pray for this church um, as well, we would really appreciate that. They would really appreciate that too. I want to hook onto this phrase, um, in its welfare you will find your welfare. In other words, care for the life of the city, and the city will care for you. So do good for the city. Do good for your neighbors and communities. Seek the best for all of them. Cool. Okay. So, what does that mean? I think, I think basically, I think the best way I can just explain a little bit how we try and live that out in Belgium. Um, we try to, in Belgium... We're trying to encourage the local church to live it out practically by exploring their God-given passions and skills and try to have an, a positive impact in the community using these. So our, our unofficial motto in OM in Belgium is to serve and build the Belgian church where it is and to be the church where it isn't. So uh, for Femke and I, this plays out in a few different ways. Uh, for me, I'm working towards uh, building a localized movement of Worship songs written by the Belgian church for the Belgian church. At the same time, I'm also spending a lot of time amongst local musicians to find common themes in Belgian songs and learn how the church can, uh, church's songs can answer to that. In Belgium, music speaks volumes to people, giving words and melody to their feelings. Imagine if Christians in this church harness this, harness this tool effectively. And through this, I get to share the gospel a lot. For example, recently, um, I helped a, a nominal Catholic friend who was writing a song in response to uh, what had happened in Paris. Um, he was working through his feelings while writing some really deep and challenging lyrics. Over the course of the evening, we talked a lot about faith, and we were able to pray for him together, Femke and I. 
His simple act of praying opened up a whole new world of conversation with him. He suddenly trusted us to share a bit of his heart. And for Femke, she is working with this great youth organization called Breeze, which she mentioned before, who are encouraging young Christians to claim their faith as their own, uh, walking with Christ and digging into Scripture independently and together with friends. This includes the production of videos and printed materials to guide people in how to study the Bible well. At the moment, we're spending a whole year uh, digging into the Gospel of Matthew, best book, seriously, um, and going deeper into Jesus' call to follow him. Femke and I have involved in a, uh, organizing a study group in Leuven as well that is based around these materials, and these have been incredibly blessed evenings. Uh, lately, we've even found Catholic backgrounds believers joining us. Naturally, there are struggles with trying to understand what our common ground is, um, especially in a country where there's so many traditions that are that are that are really unbiblical. Um, but as we as we explore Scripture together as a group and walking, um, looking at what God Himself says, we're finding real joy in celebrating and singing of God's grace together. So we're seeking the best for for the city that we're living in now, in Leuven, uh, by both speaking into their music culture and investing into the faith of young people. As we invest into these areas, we really hope to see that Leuven will become a better city to live in and that the church would be seen as loving their people well. I heard this quote from Frederick Buchner years ago, and it stuck with me ever since. Um, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What's your niche? How does that connect with the world's deep hunger? This is a really hard question to consider um, in a comfortable Western culture, um, but it's worth considering, absolutely. The last part I really want to dig into is uh, Jeremiah 29.11. It's probably the most well-known section. I suspect we know this, this verse best when being photoshopped into oversized framed photos of pretty sunsets or waterfalls or whatever else. Um, we can recite it almost by heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that incredibly encouraging? Um, don't we all want security in our future and a hope to look forward to? God reminds us that he is in control. The Lord of all history himself knows where we are and is working things to give us a future and a hope. But wait, one verse back, verse 10. God says this, 70 years of exile, that's a long time. In fact, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to be dead by then. Wait, God, what do you mean by a hope and a future? I'm going to be long dead by this point. Um, what the heck are you talking about? So this is the thing. God is not actually talking just about us. He's talking about his people. In 70 years, he will remove the yoke of oppression from his people, his Israelites, in Babylon, and return them to Jerusalem, which came to pass as he promised. Is this discouraging? I, I don't think so. I think it actually gives us more hope than before when we recognize it in its broader context. God is not just working for the good of us. He's working for the good of his people, his church, but it's so much bigger than just ourselves. Uh, we're part of a grander scheme that God is bringing together. It's something that we've needed to acknowledge in our work in Belgium. It's just the sheer ambition of working in a country of 11 million people. It means we're not likely to see our dream of of the church um, seeing thousands recognize Christ as their Savior. We may not see that in our lifetime. 
we really do recognize we are just small threads in the context of a great tapestry. Um, but we truly believe that seeing God's church explode with new believers in Belgium, it will set a spectacular precedent uh, across the entire of Western Europe even. I'm going to finish because I, I want to introduce to you a painting. I don't know if you know this. It's, uh, it's by an artist called James Ensor. He's well-known in, in Europe. Um, he's, uh, it's called Christ's Entry into Brussels in 1889. That's an interesting painting. It was painted when Brussels was really establishing itself as a renowned international city um, right before the beginning of the 20th century. The whole painting at first glance is a, it's just this enormous procession of color and celebration until you start looking closer and you start researching the context as well. Each of these faces at the bottom, they're actually sarcastic caricatures of Belgian politicians, clergy, and other dignitaries of the era. They're all leading the way. There are huge crowds lining the street uh, off into the background. And there are, there are performers and banners all the way along. But where is Jesus in the midst of this? Has, can anyone actually see him? I mean, it might be a bit too far away. He is there. <laughs> it's, I'm like... Jesus is totally lost in the middle of the crowd. Um, somewhere in the distance. He's not even the focus of the attention. Uh, everyone seems to have missed the point of everything. And this is something we long to do in Belgium. In the midst of the noise and the chaos of Belgian life, we long to see Jesus return to the center. Um, that people may see and celebrate his epically proportioned love for us sinners. So, would you join us in praying for Belgium? Uh, would you like to, we, we have a mailing list. We would love it if you would like to jump on our mailing list and receive uh, our updates. Um, We'll have iPad with uh, you can sign up on. Um, if you feel led to support OM's work financially, um, we would love to talk to you after as well about how you can be involved in that. Uh, and most of all, above all of this, we really hope that sharing a little from Scripture about the life of Jeremiah and, and God's nation in exile in Babylon, I hope that that's inspired you to find ways to think of how you can live as Christians in exile um, and how you can bring life, the life of Christ into your context. So thank you very much.